The following is an exclusive presentation of WPTF and Applied Vision Works. This is the Building a Leadership Culture Podcast, hosted by Bruce Gresham, the Principal Strategic Advisor of Applied Vision Works. An in-depth look at how Bruce and President Don Hadley help businesses reach their long-term goals. Here's your host, Bruce Gresham. Welcome to Building a Leadership Culture Podcast, brought to you by Applied Vision Works. I'm your host, Bruce Gresham, and so grateful to be a part of the Applied Vision Works team. We are a business coaching firm that helps businesses of all sizes reach their goals faster. You can learn more actually at our new website at AppliedVisionWorks.com or give us a call at 919-739-2980. Really looking forward to uh, the conversation today around teamwork, leadership, and culture. Oh my. We have Michelle Granger, the Executive Director of the North Carolina Sweet Potato Commission. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bruce. It's a pleasure to be here. I really appreciate you inviting me. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for coming on. This is going to be fun. So Michelle, just to start off with, tell us a little bit about yourself and the North Carolina Sweet Potato Commission. Sure. I'll be more brief on me and a whole lot more about the Sweet Potato Commission. For me, I was born and raised in Cary, North Carolina and went to NC State University. I have two degrees, one in communications with interpersonal relations and the others in business management with marketing. And for 20 years, I served on the faculty uh, and staff team with the Poole College of Management and led an international innovation management center. In my last four years at the university, I also helped co-lead a program called the Executive Farm Management Program, which is an executive education program that was created specifically to teach business management skills to the modern farmer in the Southeast. And it was through those efforts where I believe our sweet potato producers of North Carolina had their first introduction of me, quite honestly. And to my my great pleasure and certainly honor, they asked me to apply for their executive director position this past summer, and they chose me. And it has been a wild and amazing ride since August of 2020. The commission is celebrating its 60th anniversary, which is exciting in its own right. We were founded in 1961 with the purpose of promoting and marketing North Carolina sweet potatoes, all to increase consumer consumption. So we have been doing that for 60 years and we do it at all kinds of levels. We certainly are involved in the typical marketing and promotion activities that you would anticipate to generate consumer awareness, but we also offer a tremendous amount of educational resources and programs, both for consumers and our growers to ensure that they are following the best practices. We support research at the university level and beyond, and we offer uh, additional programs. We also are the country's largest producer of sweet potatoes, and we are the largest exporter of sweet potatoes. So we are not only doing these activities here in the U.S., but we also are doing them around the world. And you're being modest. It's not even close. It's not even close. This past year, we produced 
planted is what uh, the USDA would tell you, uh, a little over 106,000 acres. And we harvested a little over 105,000 acres. That is representative in well over 60% of the nation's production numbers. And, and there's incredible. not incredible. Yes. And I'm sorry to interrupt you. I was just going to say that there's not, but so many states in the country that even produce at a commercial level sweet potatoes. So it, it's a it's a small group of states. And I'm very proud as a native North Carolinian to say that we very much are an industry leader and have been since 1971. One thing, and I've seen it spelled or, or put together many different ways. Is sweet potato one word or two? I'm so glad you asked. This is one of the best conversations that I've been having since August. Scientifically, as well as botanically, it is indeed one word. This was a mind-blowing learning experience for me that I did not know until I took on this position, funny enough, and it has been explained to me. And since I have been doing a great deal of research, there are numerous scholarly groups, as well as certainly sweet potato production groups that recognize it as one word. And it is a wonderful way to talk to people about sweet potatoes is what I'm finding because it's a great hook. Because so few folks realize that it's actually one word. So when you lead off on a conversation about, did you know sweet potatoes is really only one word and not two? It's kind of like the record skidding and people <laughs> doing a double take. And they, they start to listen so that you can then talk about the superfood that it really is and all the nutritional value and the versatility that it offers. Uh, it, it is a great way to open the door for conversations. And in connection with our 60th anniversary, the commission is starting to do a lot of effort to educate our consumers and general public with this one word endeavor. And it's such an important part of our, our state and our state economy and our agriculture economy. And looking forward to talking to you more about that. But just to pivot for a little bit to our topic around teamwork, leadership, and workplace culture, and how they're interdependent and at the heart of successful organizations. You know, we've come across many early in career leaders who see these as kind of separate things, and maybe even some tenured leaders who have been in leadership positions for a while at their organizations or across multiple different organizations. But you really have to balance all three how do you think of these three aspects of business and kind of where do you start as, as a leader? Well, I feel that I have a unique benefit and perspective on this topic because I worked in innovation for 20 years. And it is very clear, not only from the research that our researchers did, but what I saw with my own eyes, organizations that truly value innovation management value these elements and see them as something that must be done together and recognizing that there is no single person who should be responsible for innovation to start with. So that's where the teamwork comes in. And you cannot have good innovation unless you are recognizing the value and strength of every member of your team, as well as every department of your organization. And you need to incorporate that viewpoint so that you're looking at a challenge or an opportunity from all angles. So that's first and foremost. And when you do that, 
you are starting to create a culture of inclusivity and a culture of value so that your team is motivated to want to contribute and want to participate in what the task is at hand and to push themselves as well as to push the organization to not just meet the expected goals, but to exceed them. And it's through this attitude and this camaraderie and and most importantly, the safe space of feeling that it's okay to fail if you're going to learn from it and you're going to be able to analyze it and understand uh, why you failed and what you could build upon to use as you try it again. When you combine all of this as a leader, you see your teams go so much farther and, and your goalpost moves quite significantly for what you absolutely can contribute and do. Had I not had that experience of working in this research center, I might not have come at it with that attitude, but I feel so fortunate that that's the the foundational professional experience that I, I have indeed had. And how has balancing these things manifested itself during your career? What are some examples of times when things were humming along and, and maybe some times where, uh, to your point, you learn from failure or, or that kind of thing? Well, I don't know that it is as relevant as much to talk about the particular issues that were what I'll call challenges or or hurdles at the time, as much as it is to say that on a personal level, I needed to learn that you can focus, you can allocate some time to recognizing these different areas, the the culture, the, the teamwork, the innovation aspects, but that you always need to recognize that they must go together in order to have a a successful end result. There will be times where your focus of energy and intention is going to be more weighted in one area than the other. And that's okay as long as you are continually to circle back and bring in the other two so that there is constant movement of the needle or a balance, so to speak, uh, of what it is that you're doing. You and I have similar backgrounds around innovation, product development, that kind of thing. And I found it really interesting that you mentioned that it's okay to fail. That's how you learn. That's how you grow. How do you try to explain that to folks that you work with, whether they be customers, coworkers, partners? How does that kind of play into the innovation cycle? Well, I had to learn this myself, quite honestly. I've, I've always been an overachiever and a, a, a type A kind of personality. And so hearing the word failure didn't necessarily compute right away with me. And, and it seemed like that was not going to be okay. And so I needed to be in this experience and this environment that I was to see individuals, both from a research aspect, as well as corporate executives and companies from around the world of brands that we all know, say time and time again, had it not been for this failure, we would not be where we are today because we can map directly to what we learned. And I needed to hear and see that a couple of times to go, okay, it's okay to fail. So now that I understand that, then that is something that I really emphasize with others of create a safe space 
of where there is transparency and there is open communication and support of recognizing that particularly when you're doing a whole new idea and, and it's completely out of the box, you might not get it right the first time. And that's going to be okay as long as you've documented what you did and what went wrong so that you don't repeat it again and you can utilize any of the pieces and parts that worked and build upon that. And, and that's what I try to encourage. And I, I think, but most importantly, the encouragement of it being a safe space, a space where people can share and feel that their perspectives and experience that they bring is valued. You're absolutely right. And businesses, cultures, organizations that fail to innovate, to throw out kind of crazy ideas and brainstorm things, go broad, think broadly, think maybe deeper than normal and then hone and refine things to, to improve, they're destined to fail. If you look back, I mean, everybody likes to look at Kodak, right? Mm -hmm. That, you know, they still exist today, but in a very different form and a much smaller company than they were. But if you look back at them 20, 25 years ago, they had ideas around digital cameras, smartphones, et cetera, et cetera. And they didn't allow for innovation to continue and kind of shut it down. And now they don't exist and people eventually, or they exist in a very different form than they do now. And people eventually ate their lunch. It's important to kind of have those safe spaces that you spoke to, but also have strong debate within those spaces so that you kind of kill ideas once you try them. You kind of learn fast, fail fast is a, a term that I've heard. What are your thoughts around, around that? Oh, for sure. I can make it as current a, a, as, as possible. In our executive firm management program, we would always kick off the first day by this very sentiment of fail fast, kill fast, move on. And we would call it kill your little darlings. And, and that was all about kill your ideas, which are your little darlings, because you came up with them. And, and that, that was okay, but it was also okay to throw them out and, and make them known too, so that there could be this dialogue of conversation for it. I think it's critical. And I think that that perspective of debate that you mentioned is really important, but that comes back to trust. And that comes back to a culture of what you have built and, and is such trust there so that someone feels that they have the confidence to indeed speak their true thoughts and know that at the end of the day, even if that idea doesn't pan out, no one is talking about them behind their back either or making notes in a secret file that's going to be held up against them at a, at a later time. Right. You got to have fun with the innovation process. I love that, that phrase, kill all of our little darlings, that kind of thing. And sometimes you try to capture those and you also revisit them because maybe circumstances have changed or the markets changed, that kind of thing. Just because the timing of that idea isn't just right for that moment in time doesn't mean that that idea should be completely trashed altogether. Here at the commission, I have a giant whiteboard in my office and we constantly are writing down ideas on it 
only for any other, no other reason than to make sure we don't lose them, recognizing that A, we, we can't do everything at once and we need to prioritize first and foremost, but B, some things need to be vetted and it's okay to let it marinate for a little while, that, that initial idea and think about how it might play out. But we are managing so much here at the commission and we move at a pretty quick pace. If we didn't write it down, we'd lose it. And it's the same exact idea. And you can always build upon it when you have it continually in front of you where you're thinking about it. And so you mentioned a very key aspect for any leader, any organization around prioritization, whether it's the innovation process or anything else that you're doing from a marketing perspective or or any other aspect of the business. How do you go about kind of prioritizing your time, energy, effort, not only for you, but for your team and your partners and and customers? Well, you know, I've always been a big believer in everyone's personal strengths. And that is definitely something that I've tried to embrace uh, in any role that I've ever had. And that was to, as soon as I could, assess the strengths of every individual that I was engaging with and would be engaging with on a regular basis. So that we could divide and conquer and leverage our skills and make sure that we could cover everything that needs to be covered. And I definitely incorporate that here at the commission, particularly in my role being so new and this being such a complex organization and industry within itself. I'm still on my learning curve, admittedly, and there's plenty of people who I'm surrounded by that have incredible historical knowledge and experience that I can build from. And I'm not shy to say, teach me. I I might be the leader, but I'm ready to learn. And I, I value what you have to offer. And in other roles, I might have had many more years of experience, but I still wanted to be taught from someone else that had a different perspective. And so I I think when you look at prioritizing of, of different projects, you need to look at the assets that you have around you of the resources available and experience, knowledge, professional training, whatever it is needed. And And then determine what your immediate needs and demands are. You know, for us, we have a lot (laughs) at the Sweet Potato Commission. You know, while we always want consumers to consume more sweet potatoes, we also are continually having policy conversations at a federal and state level. We have breeding conversations with the university for new varieties, bigger and better, and what that looks like. We have technology conversations on exporting and container ships and conditions for that versus transporting cross-country and trucking and what does that look like in the shelf stability for the sweet potatoes. So all of this matters to us, but I need to figure out where is my expertise and who do I trust that can report back to me and represent me and the commission and other conversations where we can have numerous conversations going at the same time and achieve our ultimate goal. You you strike me as a leader that really does trust the people that you're working around, working with. How do you set parameters with a team or with your partners around decision-making and who's allowed to make what decision versus, hey, you need to report to me before making that decision versus, you know, just go and do it. This is definitely a, a pointing comment to my own personality. And yes, I, I am trusting and I feel that 
if you've earned your position, whatever that may be, you've earned it. And, and so I'm going to come in with an attitude of just as my elementary school teachers would say, you've started the year off with a hundred. It's up to you whether you keep the hundred or not. So I, I've always carried that forward. And from a decision-making standpoint, I think what I have tried to do when able is identify the project at hand, understand what the end goal is, and lay out my expectations at a high level of what I need to get accomplished and where I am looking to that individual or those that team of individuals to help me accomplish it. And depending on whether this is uh, financial decisions or other implications of time, resources, et cetera, will depend on what kind of requirements I put into place of reporting back before you make a, a decision on my behalf or my organization I'm representing behalf. It, it really varies per activity and, and what we're talking about. Uh, and that's because I don't see myself as a micromanager. I very much see myself as a team leader and a team-oriented individual. It also helps that you're probably really busy too and don't have time to micromanage, that kind of thing. <laughs> For sure, yeah, yes. <laughs> you know, it's interesting when you said that you're a very trusting individual, you start everybody off like your many of your teachers did at 100. Cultures in that regard kind of take on a life of their own. Some cultures, it's very much everybody starts at zero and you have to work up. Some people start you off at, let's say, 50 instead of 100, and you work your way up and down. Or, you know, there's cultures where everybody's, you start off at 100. Something that I have to work on constantly is I am one of those people that starts off folks at 100, and I have a tendency to, you go back down to zero, and then you got to build build yourself back up, that kind of thing. I, I have a bad habit of that. How do you kind of balance coaching, mentoring folks when they come into the organization? You know, again, I go back to my days at NC State and running the research center. In that center capacity, I had a very robust student internship program. And the interns ranged from undergrad to postdoc. And they uh, came from, again, all different perspectives, geographic regions, uh, any other demographic you want to throw out. I learned that you need to meet people where they are first and foremost. And it is absolutely okay to give them stretch goals and to give them the opportunity to grow and learn themselves. And if I'm telling you that failure is okay, as long as we know what we did and why we failed, then I have to be sure that I absolutely represent that and walk that talk. And that's how I balance it. There's a lot of inside coaching that I do, quite honestly, of, of internal conversations that I will have, particularly in some more challenging or, or touchy scenarios, because I do have a communications degree. Uh, and, it, and it has a minor in interpersonal relations. So I'm very sensitive to the verbal and the nonverbal and how that might be conveyed. So Don Hadley, our founder of Applied Vision Works, has a great book called The Journey to Meaning. Not only is it a fun, quick story, but there are actually practical worksheets at the end of each chapter that help business owners assess where they are in their journey and kind of helps them determine next steps. 
The first five folks who email me at bgresham at appliedvisionworks.com and request a copy of the book will receive a digital copy for free to read on their iPad or tablet of their choice. Today on the Building a Leadership Culture podcast, we've spoken to Michelle Granger, Executive Director of the North Carolina Sweet Potato Commission. Really enjoyed uh, the first part of our conversation, Michelle. And where I'd like to start off, if it's okay with you, is that idea of kind of meeting people where they are and building a vision and stretch goals for, for the future. Thank you for joining me. And folks, thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Building a Leadership Culture podcast with Applied Vision Works Principal Strategic Advisor Bruce Gresham. Questions, concerns? Please email Craig Chase at cchase at appliedvisionworks.com or call 800 786 4332. This has been an exclusive presentation of WPTF and Applied Vision Works.